They talked to me of the age of the wine and the fame of the vintage. But I thought of an older, a newer, and purer wine, of a more glorious vintage, which they had not got and could not buy. Hello and welcome to Disgorged, a fun and spirited look at the world of wine and drinking. I'm your host, Zach Jabal, and coming up on the show today, I speak with Luke Wollers, the founder and owner of Walden Selections, a wine importer and distributor in Washington and Oregon. If you're interested in checking out fun and exciting wines like the ones we talked about, I'll be launching a weekly series of wine pop-ups in Seattle starting in March. For more information, follow at Disgorged Wine on Twitter. Before we get to Luke, though, a thought. There's a lot of bullshit in the world of wine. Some of it is intentional, and some of it is well-meaning, but it's never been easier to get confused by what's on a label or in a bottle. Given the number of languages, countries, and regions involved, even I have a hard time staying on top of everything, and it's my job. In general, I tell people not to worry about it too much, but I do think there are a couple of words to keep an eye out for. For one, the words reserve, select, or special. Those have no legal definition in the United States, and unscrupulous producers can use them to give a sense of exclusivity and the much higher price point that comes with it, even where it's not warranted. In fact, I'd take almost anything on a label with a large grain of salt, as the TTB basically doesn't enforce any of the regulations that are on the books with regards to wine. Now, with European wine, words like reserva do usually have a legally defined meaning, and there are more actual examinations and inspections of wine, but even those more structured and hierarchical systems leave plenty of loopholes to be exploited. Thus, it's important to remember that there's no substitute for a trustworthy source and your own sense of taste. Joining me today on Disgorged is Luke Wollers. He's the owner and proprietor of Walden Selections, an importation and distribution company in Washington and Oregon. Luke, how's it going? It's going really well. How are you, Zach? Happy New Year. Oh, yeah, same to you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's going well. Uh, we were talking actually just in the uh, in the little pre-show chat about uh, how this year's been, uh, the beginning of 2017 has been pretty good, which is nice for those of us in the industry to uh, to not have the sort of standard January doldrum. So glad to hear it's the same on your end as it has been on mine. It's been off to a really crystal clear start. Excellent. Uh, so let's start at the beginning, which is uh, how did you get involved in wine in the first place? And then maybe uh, in that story, we can talk a little bit about how you made your way to uh, Seattle. Sure. I got in, in wine um, just it was uh, really uh, the opportunity to uh, to make some extra money uh, in my uh, college days. I was um, I was, uh, you know, studying cello performance and uh, and uh, between that and switching over to an, an economics uh, major. I ended up needing a summer uh, to to work and in, in, uh, just make some extra money. So I, I found my way into an Italian restaurant, uh, and that restaurant had a, a chef who was um, trained in California Italian Calatel style uh, cuisine, and he also had a collection collection of old Bordeaux on his own. And therefore, the wine list at the restaurant was quite nice. Uh, uh, at the time, this was in '99, uh, so the restaurant was focused on in uh, California and Italy and France, um, the kind of staple uh, wines of the time. And, and so uh, I, I really just got into wine by, by being asked from, from, uh, from guests at the restaurant, what do we, you know, what do we drink with our, our cuisine, our meal? And so um, I didn't know. I didn't know what to, what to recommend to them. So I, 
I had to learn. It was kind of a, a, a real, um, just a real uh, born out of a necessity to uh, be able to provide for for the clients of the restaurant. And from there, I ended up meeting uh, uh, meeting a um, gentleman who's still in the in, in the restaurant business in Chicago. Um, and he uh, he said, "Well, I just started working at this retail shop, and uh, you know, really enjoying it. And I think uh, I think you'd find it interesting too." So I I went over and and talked to the uh, the uh, manager, and he just opened the restaurant, and uh, and he said, "Well, if you can work for for uh, for Ray, um, this is the name of the chef. He was uh, sort of a legendary, um, um, really old school, um, stern, and 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 um, and very, um, you know, he had high standards. And so, if you can work for Ray, you can work for me. So so uh, Thad hired me, and uh, Thad actually ended up leaving that restaurant to open, or leaving that retail shop to open his own restaurant." Um, and then he's now the the wine director of Blue Apron in New York. Okay. So he buys all the wine for Blue, Blue Apron. So he's my, my 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 wine mentor, uh, my first wine mentor. And so that's how I got into the into the business was um, was really just working in working in restaurant as a server and uh, also part time as a as a salesperson on the floor of a retail wine shop. Did you was and there a so lot I, of was there a lot of overlap in the kind of wines you were selling both in the restaurant and at the retail shop? Or was it a lot of Italy, France, California uh, there as well? It was it was very much the the sort of Caltel sort of menu at the time, which was which was Cal, sort of buttery rich California Chardonnay and and Napa Cab and uh, Italian specifically Piedmont and Tuscany uh, and also um, also French sort of Bordeaux and staple appellations. And then the retail shop because Thad had come out of Marabatelli Marabatelli's uh, Po. Um, he was a, a, a sous chef there and as well as um, I've been involved in some wine, uh, wine stuff in in other, uh, in other in other places, and so he was really an Italian file, and so uh, that's sort of where I, I caught the Italian bug, and and uh, and that that retail shop was really more, way more uh, esoteric, um, and uh, no, we did have a California, but we it was a, it was a sort of broad selection of of wine from around the world and spirits and beer and so forth, so it was it was a different selection. Yeah. Did you? So did you have a chance then? Uh, if you're, if we're talking, you know, early, <laughs> late '90s, early 2000s, um, you know, what was it at that point that was sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess cutting edge or was was really kind of out there as far as like stuff in Italy? Because you know now we're, we're seeing wine from every last corner of Italy and obviously mm-hmm. places more remote than that. But but at that point in time, what was sort of the what was the edgy for people? I think in the in the the late '90s uh, when I remember getting started. I think the you know Antonori and 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 these these brands was kind of these were this is um, now giving giving sort of context. <clears throat> this was specifically in Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, Illinois, which is a college UIUC. It's a college uh, town, uh, which is great because although it was sort of in the middle of Illinois, two hours south of Chicago, um, in the middle of cornfield. There were a lot of academics and, and and tech people and engineers and so forth. So there was a vibrant community of people willing to explore new things. Um, but really, you know, we we did see a lot of the big brands. Um, uh, if we're talking specific about Italy, but sort of into the early 2000s, um, more more companies that were based in Chicago were willing to to you know make the trip to to. Uh, uh, drive down and show us some wines, and so we we started to see more, more of the esoterica, more uh, small producers. Uh, remember Cashini uh, Della Ulivi, uh, who is now in the Dresner book. Um, they were they were one of the sort of uh, 
early ones I saw. Um, I, I've actually found um, I found Grobner very early on too. We were uh, we were selling Grobner uh, in 2002, maybe uh, three, um, sort of the first vintages of the Amphora wines that he started producing. Um, and then I had kind of full reign over part of the store, which is the Italian, uh, section. And I had about 150 SKUs or so. Um, I think every, every region of Italy. Um, so it was really an educa- kind of a, an educational opportunity as well uh, for, for us, as well as for the, con- for the consumer, um, and I think we wouldn't have been able to do that without it being either in a big city or in a, in a college town setting, which, which is what the opportunity was. Yeah, absolutely. So. And, and I mean, I got into, I started getting into Italian wine, uh, maybe a few years after that. Um, but it was definitely, you know, it was still very alien to people to kind of go outside of Tuscany or, or a little bit outside of uh, Piedmont that, that if you took them to, to even to Umbria or to, um, you know, Alto Adige or, I mean, well, Alto Adige, I guess people were drinking a little bit of Pinot Grigio, but, but it wasn't really, I mean, the, the thought of, of Italian wine from places that were not sort of the, the most prominent regions was just, it was from, from most people and, and even people who are into wine, it was just sort of, it was, sorry, I think I just had an audio glitch there. Uh, it was just sort of um, bizarre. Yeah, and I think you're onto something. You know, Tuscany was really the staple, um, uh, the sort of comfortable um, staple for a lot of uh, consumers. And I think even at that time, I remember uh, Piedmont was just sort of being being explored. So, um, you know, even even uh, a region like Umbria, for example, was was really kind of out there. Um, uh, you know any of the smaller regions, especially in the south. I mean, we had we had very little opportunity to buy anything more than a, a few. I remember there's just a few kind of uh, of, of wines out there from from Puglia, uh, Calabria, uh, and many of them that we had access to were were quite you know really quite rustic and had um, you know volatile acidity and breadth. Um, quite quite a bit of this in in the wine, um, and I think it was just at, around that corner that in the sort of early to mid 2000s a lot of in, uh, investment into you know cleaner uh cleaner cellars and and just generally you know cleaning up the winemaking um had to happen so we, we really didn't see much from the southern part of italy in terms of in terms of uh diversity it was really more from from the north and i think uh, anything outside of tuscany was really quite um you know interesting and, and sort of esoteric even at that time Okay, so you're so you're working in a in doing restaurant work and retail work in uh, uh, Champagne, and you're so. At what point does that become more? The, does wine become really like you get the sense that that's really the direction you want to go, and 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 how do you pursue that? Because not that there's anything wrong with uh, that that part of the world or that part of the the state, even, but probably not the best place to pursue big wine dreams. <laughs> no, actually, you know, I think it was um, it was a great place to be. Uh, simply because it, it, you, you felt it was a, sort of a bubble, like like Seattle's a bubble. It was it felt like this bubble of of comfort in terms of um, in terms of the university setting, and uh, it was it was a very great standard of standard of living there. And I think um, you can you can go find pastries, and um, there was a lot of far, farm to table sort of uh, um, things going on there as well. So there there was a a really high standard of living that made things quite comfortable. Uh, in terms of wine, I think I got to a certain point where I realized that 
I needed to sort of branch out and do do something a little bit different, go somewhere else. Actually, ended up meeting my 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 wife, my partner, but business partner, um, at University of Illinois, and we ended up moving to Boston from there, um, and then uh, moved to New York and back to Boston, out to Seattle. Um, so, I think it was nice to be able to get out, but uh, it was a really formidable experience for me in terms of in terms of wine and meeting um, meeting winemakers and being able to purchase wine for. Uh, for a retail environment, uh, and 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 get my sort of cut my teeth in restaurants. What was the when you moved uh, between Boston and New York, and then I guess back to Boston? Was there a substantial difference in the in the wine scene there and the wine industry there? Were 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 there was a clientele all that different, or was it pretty similar? I think uh, different different. Cl- I mean, from are are you asking from uh, the transition from Illinois to to Boston, or more between Boston and New York? I think between Boston and New York, you know, it's easy mm-hmm. from from here on the other side of the country to well to either lump them together or I guess conversely sort of look at New York as its own thing and then think about maybe other big East Coast cities as being separate. So I don't I don't know. I haven't worked in I mean I worked in the restaurant industry in New York when I was very young and uh, and didn't definitely do anything with wine. So I, I don't really have that perspective. So I I was there from 2005 to 2010 in Boston and then a, a year in between there in New York. 708. Um, in, in, in Boston, I did notice that, um, it's a very, at least it, it was then it's, it's changed, uh, now it's different, but it was a very, um, very conservative, uh, a town, um, folks that have, have money to spend disposable income often wouldn't spend it on things like going out to eat, for example, or, uh, necessarily on, um, showy things. Um, so the wine, the wine tastes there were were very, um, I think, predictable and and very conservative. So the um, oftentimes the, the joke is it's it's sort of a an island off the you know east coast of um, or the west coast of, of of England or west coast of Europe, and there's something about that. There's a there's a uh, there was a real preference for the classic wines of Europe. Uh, in Boston, it was very difficult to sell wines from the west coast, um, other than maybe sort of staple. Uh, you know Napa, Sonoma, these 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 places. Um, so so I noticed in Boston there was a, there was a real uh, desire for the staple, the Sancerre, the Chablis, the Champagne, um, all these sort of famous uh, appellations. Um, but outside of that, there was less and less interest. And in New York, it's always it, I've I've always seemed to to find that um, you can really sell anything in New York. It's 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 pretty wide open. Um, there's a, there's a lot more curiosity, um, but it's changed. You know, in Boston, I, I was selling at a at a um, charcuterie a cheese shop called Formaggio Kitchen in in in, uh, in Cambridge. Uh, we were selling a lot of natural wine at the time um, through an importer there who used to represent uh, Cornelissen, um, and uh, and he brought in really interesting wines and we didn't think of them as, as, as natural wine that didn't exist at the time. I mean, it existed in, in, in the sense of van nature in, in France, but that, that terminology hadn't come in into play yet. So we, we were just selling these wines that were completely different than anything else we had, uh, that I had tasted before. Um, uh, so there, there was, there was definitely little pockets of that in Boston. Um, but in New York, it seemed like everything, everything sort of goes. Um, and I, I, I happened to be working at, at establishments who were, um, for example, in, in Boston, there was a little cheese shop, uh, and, and they sort of had a, a selection of quirky Appalachian wines from, from France and Italy. Um, also a retail shop in, outside of Boston called Lower Falls Wine Company. It's a great shop. 
uh, right on the border of Wellesley. Um, this is a very high net worth uh, individual sort of um, you know zip codes. So what we would be selling there maybe was a different than other shops in the area. Um, we you know, saw I saw a lot of DRC and mm. and a lot a lot of really sort of high end stuff coming coming out of that area, <clears throat> and it was interesting in in 2008, eight, nine with the global financial crisis, uh, we saw a lot of trade downs happening in the, in the way of uh, Bordeaux and Burgundy and, and Napa, um, folks that were spending three, 400, $500 a bottle on wine before that, say pre 2008, 2009, um, were instead trading, trading off, trading down into say, well, I'm at Valley. So instead of, instead of a Napa cab, that was $200, they'd be buying the best, out of, say, Domain Serene, the best mm-hmm. out of out of Willamette Valley that could be had for the money, which was maybe eighty dollars or a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> it was interesting at that point to see to see um, how the economy was affecting that that area as well. And <clears throat> in New York, was working in fine dining, so that was a you know again a different different scene as to um, as to what folks were purchasing. Um, but I think I think I think even that being said, across. All, all of the establishments I've, I've worked at, um, there's always been a sort of, uh, there's always been some value somewhere. Mm-hmm. I've always seemed to see that or, or, or want that, you know, in terms of um, quality or price. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a thing that it's not exactly always difficult to deliver, but it's interesting to think about value when someone is, you know, it's easier to think about value when someone wants to spend $20 on a bottle of wine. It's maybe a little, a little more challenging at times when people want to spend a hundred dollars on a bottle of wine. But, but part of, I think the cool thing about the growth of the, of the wine sort of world these days is that you really can find value at almost any price point. Um, you know, maybe if you're buying DRC, you're just buying DRC. There's not much in that price point that's value, but, uh, that's, that's not our problem. I don't think. Right. <laughs> so, right. okay. So then you, you make your way out to Seattle and at what point did the thought of going in, going from sort of the uh, retail and restaurant side into the sort of importation and distribution side was that always something you wanted you'd wanted to do or did it kind of just come about by happenstance or how did that process go? So I I, th- I think um, you know to get back into the, the the previous question I wanted to to answer it a little bit more oh sure please in, in depth um, which is. You know, how did I know wine was going to really be um, to be a focus? And that was um, I remember actually a, a, a moment when I was at a um, dinner party uh, with a, at a customer um, of the, the retail shop um, and a number of my colleagues were in the room and, and my this mentor, Thad, he, he had um, been essentially tutoring them in the quartermaster sommeliers, they were all taking the intro exam and I'd never heard of it. So, uh, so I was just sort of there as a fly in the wall. Um, but what ended up answering the questions that no one, no one could answer. And so I thought, Oh, maybe I should actually, I seem to be answering these questions and knowing, knowing something about these, um, these factoids, maybe I should, uh, do a little bit more focus on the wine. So that's kind of how I, how I got into uh, focus on focusing on wine, which was um, being interested in studying more about wine. Uh, and then, and then some point in, in the early, the mid two thousands, I think, I think the idea was to really kind of uh, explore the different aspects of the wine business. And I knew that at some point I would be uh, ready to, to do something else, um, be it, 
make wine, uh, help out in a, in a vineyard, uh, possibly work in import or distribution. Uh, but I didn't set any time frame for that. I didn't set a, a goal. Um, I just ended up working and kind of off and, off and on in retail and restaurant and, until sort of the point happened where, when um, being in Seattle, uh, I, left New, I left New York after opening a restaurant and uh, had, a, had some back issues and, and uh, wanted to just sort of take a break from, from the restaurant business. And that was in 2013, 14. Um, so uh, the idea was starting a business and doing something a bit different. And I think um, I think the distribution import thing was of interest. And I, I realized that Seattle was growing, and uh, my partner and I decided to just take a take a, a leap and um, and start small and represent a few few producers and and see how it went. So that's kind of how it happened. Were there producers that you had already had some kind of relationship with in uh, in New York or in Boston, or were you when you came out here? Did you sort of start hunting for like, okay, well, let's see who I can find who either isn't in certainly in the Seattle market or or maybe isn't even in the states? Um, how, how does that how does that process then of of finding wineries to work with, especially when you're talking about importing wine? Uh, how does that go? Sure, I think being in the business for um, I guess at, at that point I had been. Uh, five, maybe 15 years or so. Um, yeah, just meeting people, you, you get to sort of, you get this wines. Um, I had a sense for the kinds of wines, the style of wine I like to drink and was interested in, in, in representing. And so, um, so I think the first, uh, first, well, the first producer we brought on was Beckham State Vineyard actually. And, um, I was talking with a friend of mine who used to sell me wine in Chicago. He owns a, an import distribution business there. Um, Paulo um, suggested I reach out to the owners of Beckham State Vineyard, and he actually represents them in, in Illinois. So he said, if, if you're looking for something from Oregon, you should reach out to them. Um, so I did. So that was the first uh, first producer. And the, the second producer was Champagne, was a large Peugeot. Um, they were introduced to me through um, through a gentleman who uh, worked with me. He managed uh, the retail shop um, so in Illinois. So we, he actually ended up moving to Oregon after Illinois, we split up, you know, sort of split up, and I went east, and he went west, and um, he ended up tasting the champagne producer a few years back, and suggested that we we um, uh, we reach out to Clemence. So, so Michael Alberti actually made the introduction to uh, to Clemence, and I f- messaged her on Facebook, and we sort of hit it off, and that's how that happened. And then um, another producer uh, from Italy had. I'd always loved the wines, and I, I really wanted to, to import the wines. They, they, they weren't in Washington. Um, they were actually going to be imported by Venom a few years ago, but that it just didn't – I don't know what the connection never, never happened. So, um, so that, was, uh, that was great to be able to bring in something that was completely new. And uh, we, we really started with a, with a distribution import sort of hybrid model. So maybe, maybe the goal was to start with uh, a few – portfolios of other importers and to sort of start with uh, a number of different wines and then focus more on on import on direct import as the time goes on so that's that's sort of how it got started so it's a little bit of I guess inter- knowing people introductions uh, looking for wines that weren't that aren't around but it's all it's all actually been all the wines that have come to us have been through relationships so there was there was never a, a situation I guess where we've 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 looked necessarily to find something um, it's always sort of sort of come to us. You already mentioned Beckham and Large Peugeot, but what are a few other wines that you're excited about right now? I'd have to throw out you know twenty or thirty names at this point. No, uh, 
uh, we're so excited about producers who are who are. I mean, we feel kind of like an artist agent. We're really just there to to be able to provide uh, you know information, knowledge, and and share what we think is really interesting uh, about our producers. And so, from from Beckham Estate uh, standpoint, I think they've been really um, really passionate about pursuing the the Amphora project that Andrew. Andrew Beckham is a, a ceramicist and a high school uh, pottery teacher, and I think he's really taken the the Amphora production into onto a completely new level, and uh, and that seeing that passion from him and and knowing that he's going to be producing more and more wine uh, in in Amphora, aging and fermenting in Amphora, uh, it makes us really excited. Um, so that you know that's an example of Analemma in the Columbia Gorge um, making wine in Washington and now Oregon as well. Um, Seeing what seeing what can be done with uh, with a cool climate in Washington State, um, it's very very exciting. Um, we've got a uh, some new pro- a new producer from California uh, under the Le- Leloon and Populous um, uh, labels that are coming into uh, into Seattle and, and Oregon um, in a, in a month or so, and they're really fresh and vibrant, sort of the new wave of California producers. Um, really really uh, great to have them. Uh, you know, in our portfolio, um, there's 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 just really so much to talk about. But I think I think really the seeing the passion from the producers and what they're doing and what they're looking to in 2017, 2018, uh, I think that that's really what drives us in in um, in our selection and in our you know the, the sorts of wines that we we um, we decide to bring on. Um, I was in Italy in November uh, visiting Arpepe, for uh, for example, and, and Tunic di Valgiano, which we import. Arpepe, we actually purchased through a, an importer. But I'd never been to Arpepe. I'd never seen the the uh, the Valtellina, and and um, I was actually traveling with Andrew Beckham from from Oregon, and um, and he was he was. Uh, Sort of getting getting frustrated by all the driving because we were just driving. It seemed like driving forever, days in a row, five hours here, five hours there. So we went to Friuli from Tuscany, another five hours up to Valtellina. And so I, when, when we arrived at our Pepe, he 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 just looked at me and was like, "This was totally worth it." And then the next the next uh, thing he said was, "I can't imagine anyone farms this. <laughs> it's just vertical, it's just incredibly uh, steep, terraced." Uh, uh, slopes that look like um, the Mosul, just straight up. Um, so that that's really great to be able to be with another winemaker, another grower who uh, is impressed by just the sheer um, stamina of, of 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 vineyard you know vineyard workers that have to actually go up there and and tend to the vines. Um, really exciting to be able to to be with him just so he could see that, for example. But I'd never been there, and I think it's important. Uh, to be able to to talk to uh, you know our clients about and and consumers as well, but specifically our clients about the the lay of the land and how it looks and how it feels and um, um, specific things that questions that come up like um, whether it's south facing north facing that sort of thing, um, what the soils like, uh, you know why do these wines taste the way they do? Why do they use chestnut as opposed to you know stainless steel or amphora and so so and so forth and how does it change the character of the wines so i think that's the that's the thing that i'm get really excited about is being with the visit producers um ones that we've we visited before but also um because there's always some project going on there's always something new going on but also the ones that we haven't yet been to um is it's important to to really know you have to see it and feel it i think 
I think that's that's the gist. And you were just in in Europe as well, so you you were seeing and feeling and tasting, and that this is this is the stuff. Yeah, I mean, getting to visit Piedmont, which is a place I've loved for years and, and never had a chance to visit, uh, but getting to see that with my own two eyes was really pretty amazing because it just it hammered home how special the place is and how special those wines are. Um, sort of speaking of, um, obviously, I know you love your own wines, but are there things that uh, that aren't yours that you've drank recently that you've loved? Well, over the over the holidays, um, we opened a bottle of uh, 10, 15-year-old Chateau Massar from Lebanon, which was uh, really, really interesting to be able to try wine from um, somewhere so off the beaten path and also so much like um, like aged Bordeaux. I, I don't, at this point, I, I'm not drinking a lot outside of our own portfolio. So, um, so it's great to be able to, uh, to be able to do so, to really taste, um, taste outside the box. Um, recently we were at a uh, tasting in, uh, in, in New York and in, in Brooklyn, uh, raw wine fair, and there were producers from, from all over the, the, the globe, uh, there was um, some some tea uh, actually from a producer tea dealers in Brooklyn. Um, that the first day actually I didn't taste any wine. I just tasted tea. <laughs> so uh, that was something that I had um, forgotten about how how incredibly um, wine like uh, really high quality uh, oolong or, or uh, uh, Chinese tea can be. How complex it can be. Um, that source from the so top sites um, you know made very well. That was fascinating, really fascinating. That's like a new take on the old saying that uh, it takes a lot of beer to make great wine. Uh, so one final question, Luke. Does it bother you when a, a customer or a buyer doesn't like a wine that you've selected, or do you just kind of let that slide right off you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I've, I find it hard, harder and harder over time to to um, impose my idea of what necessarily what good is on on our you know our buyers or consumers that drink the wines. Uh, I find that... Um, you know, I, I try to select wines I think are yummy and delicious, and some people find them that, and some people don't. So I, I kind of have to just sort of rely on my my palate to um, you know to to get to, you know to get the point across. But at some point, you know, there everyone has it has their own different opinion about whether the wine is is I think good or delicious or whatnot. And um, my hope is that more often than not, the people will find the wines to be um, really yummy and they want to have a second or third glass or fourth glass. Um, and that's, I mean, that's the point of the wine is it needs to be, it needs to be delicious. Um, some people will find it delicious and other people won't, but hopefully more than not. Thanks so much, Luke. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Luke Wollers for joining me on Disgorged. If you'd like to learn more about my upcoming series of wine pop-ups, follow at Disgorged Wine on Twitter. Thanks again for listening and cheers. <laughs>